Welcome to the What's Up With Docs podcast, the podcast for the rest of us. I'm Tony Bell, and I'm your host. Today, I'll be speaking with Godi Samang Kuno, who is founder of Vogale Pictures, a production company dedicated to creating content from the pan-African and pro-African feminist perspective. Because she is in late development on her first feature film, Black Women and Sex, this week's song is Hugh Masekela's remake of the Fela Kuti classic, Lady. Welcome, Godi Samang. How are you? Hello, Tony. I'm great. How are you? Um, so I want to just kind of tell everybody how we met. So um, I was selected to be on a committee um, for the Doc Leipzig Documentary Film Festival. Um, and we were, the three of us, um, were tasked to um, select uh, the winner for the first ever development prize for the best female director. Um, we actually had to decide between 21 projects that were selected for the Dot Leipzig Co Pro market. Really, there was no debate. There were like t- two two top folks, and really, there was no debate in regards to um, choosing you as the winner. Oh my god! And yeah, and I just wanted to um, read the statement that we wrote. Um, I wasn't there for your awarding because I was actually in the Czech Republic on my way to Doc Leipzig. <laughs> um, I was at Yale of a Documentary Film Festival. But I just want to read the statement that we wrote um, in regards to your project. So, um, we on the jury were so proud to review the 20 projects that were selected for the inaugural Female Director Prize for the Doc Copro market. The projects span the globe and truly demonstrate the uniqueness and universality of female-driven stories. The project selected showcases Black female sexuality in Nigeria, South Africa, and Zambia through the eyes of a trans woman, an entertainer, and a mother who has the audacity to believe and and teach that God meant for sex to be equally pleasurable for both men and women. For her unique and brave voice and for tackling a topic that will certainly resonate with women throughout the African diaspora, we award the inaugural prize to Kodi Saman Kuno for Black Women in Sex. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if they read that. We we wrote that and then like, I don't know if they read that during the event because I wasn't there. They did. But when you were awarded. They They did? They did. um, They did. Okay. And my heart was beating so fast um, because usually you get like award shows after the event. It's not like Mm -hmm. the, the opening night. So exactly right yeah right. yeah so it was i was my heart was beating so fast i'm like oh my god is this, this is gonna be me oh my god no probably not but then i was so excited i was so so excited i was so nervous but so happy such an honor what touched me uh, about the project uh as like a black woman to a black woman yeah <laughs> from you know different parts of the di- diaspora is that they in regards to black female sexuality particularly in the in the u.s um a lot of the academic writing has been focused on how black sexuality is viewed from the outside you know primarily by the white gaze and how we how we as black women have to deal with the pressure of that um and like patricia hill collins has a great book that came out i think in the the 19 or the 2000s i'm old so it starts to kind of run together but uh, called Black Sexual Politics. Um, but then all, everybody knows the story of Sarah Bartman, who's known as the, the Hot and Hot Venus. And um, they've been lots of writings about her. But I feel like your project was like the first um, uh, film that I've seen that deals with, that talks about Black female sexuality. From the inside. From the perspective of Black yeah. female. Yeah, from the inside, but also like how they want it to be. Yeah. 
not and not reacting well maybe not reacting to like an outside outside view but like them trying to these three women are trying to establish who they are as um, human beings as well as sexual beings so i want to talk about some of your previous work i see like you were work, you worked on a lot of projects that kind of led up to this the film, yeah, film. yeah, yeah. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about um, your doc series called Black Women and Sex? The conversation Black Women and Sex started, um, we were se selected for Talents Durban, it's like an African leg for the Berlinale talent, and it was 40 filmmakers from all over Africa coming together to to like create like a new voice for African cinema. And a filmmaker there, he's from Ghana, and he was telling me about female genital mutilation. This is back in 2015. And I'd never ever heard of genial, uh, female genital mutilation before. And the more I thought about, after the festival, we're at the Durban International Film Festival. After the festival, the, the, the story stayed with me, the injustice of it stayed with me. And I was like, like, how do you take something so, like, such a simple pleasure, like, it's such a violation of human rights to me. It got me wondering how other women, like, identify with their bodies and other women, South African women, identify with sex and, and female genital mutilation. And all. We, have our own, we have our own things here. We have the read dances where women come and they dance naked in front of men and they choose who's the chosen one. Like, we have those politics as well within our traditions and cultures and then that's what sparked the interest and then i started black women and sex so um i made it like a docuseries a mini docuseries independent so it wasn't commissioned by anyone and no not funded by anyone and me and my friends really got together and we went around interviewing people from as yet from like a nobody on the street to professionals who study sex to sex therapists to publishers who've written about sex so it was it was a very broad kind of research assignment for for what i'm doing now so that was like your long development phase for for the yeah. feature yeah mm -hmm. just because i didn't actually know where to start i didn't know what i really wanted i i, I was as curious as i was a filmmaker you know mm -hmm. so the, the hardest thing for me was um doing it with my family because now I, I i've never spoken about sex like that in front of my own family and i'm going around <laughs> doing this with other women so so what did they think what, what were their thoughts <laughs> so my grandmother raised me and i was like i'm coming home i'm gonna interview everyone so everybody gather around and then I we came home from Johannesburg. I live in a small town for Lopani, and we came with my camera person and we asked my grandmother. The whole room was literally going around talking about that that their experiences. Uh, like my grandmother didn't talk to them about it. They didn't understand it enough going into it. They had to kind of figure it out, fend for themselves. So basically in your in your home there was no um there was no like sex education, like this is no this is what it was, it was different body parts was, this is what they do yeah yeah this is this is aids education like if you have unprotected sex you're gonna get aids and like, that's it that was yeah that's it we get to my grandmother we're like so why did you approach it like this and then she's like because i just i didn't understand it mm. i couldn't talk about it because nobody educated me about it and i i deeply regret it i wish i could have done it better 
but it's it I only approached it like that just because I I didn't understand it. I wish I did. I missed out on a whole life of understanding it. Wow. And that's when I I realized the root of the problem is just not understanding. Like instead of judging the elders or, or saying, okay, like we're gonna do it so much better, just have a little more compassion for where they came from and why we're in this position and try to understand it for ourselves instead of buying into the hypersexualization or no sexualization for older women and, 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 and. Right, right. I mean, that's interesting when you talk about your grandmother. So I, I wanted to ask, and I don't know if you can answer this, but um, was a lot of the resistance around talking about um, sex, particularly in, in Black communities, um, related to um, the apartheid regime and like how that impacted views of black just black sexuality as a whole or it was just like something that's embedded within the culture that you know there's just a sense of embarrassment around trying to talk about these issues there is a sense of embarrassment um a sense of shame mm. that really uh i don't really know where it originates uh, i can't say apartheid because i wasn't around during apartheid yeah no i was looking but... at your facebook page and it's like oh my god she was born in 1991 like like two years before i graduated from college apartheid ended in 1990 i was i know like you were you were like the new generation you're the new generation yeah, yeah. but yeah. actually i remember when they before apartheid um ended they they released mandela and actually yeah. i was living in i was from from the state of georgia but i was living in minnesota um and going to college and i yeah. actually my aunt and i flew to los angeles because mandela was doing his tour and saw really? him yeah and we were staying at oh, the, wow. we were staying at the biltmore hotel it was my first ever trip to los angeles we were staying at the biltmore hotel where mandela was seen and was staying and somewhere in my photograph somewhere i wish i could find it i have a very blurry but you could definitely tell picture of mandela as he's walking by oh wow yeah wow. it's somewhere wow. yeah yeah but anyway sorry <laughs> but, but, but you're, i mean but the mm -hmm. but the legacy of apartheid is still with us it's still it's not like it's gone away and it's vanished and my grandmother tells us stories about it all the time and so do the elder people but south africa is one of the highest place and safest places for women like the, the the rape cases are very very high from young it's 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 a it's a thing where women children children from ages five are already seen as sexual beings uh, uh, like as so we grow up in communities and in societies where you are already seen as a slut right from when you're a child and then you want to talk about sex it's like you people the, the I feel like the shame comes from trying to protect that oh I'm actually not like this I'm actually mm -hmm. you know I don't deserve to get raped that's why I won't speak like this about sex or right that's just my thinking yeah yeah I mean it's similar here obviously different legacy in the U.S. but it's similar here into the uh, in the U.S. Um, because I think there is a, a few years ago on Facebook there is a uh, um, series of postings about women talking about the first time they they saw they recognized a man was looking at them sexually um and some were saying as young as like four or five years old 
Yeah. You know, where someone, uh, some, some man made an inappropriate comment that, you know, at the time as a child, they didn't really understand it, but looking back at it as an adult, like, wow. Yeah. You know, so uh, we do tend to, we hypersexualize our girls. Like they, they don't actually have a girlhood, you know, because of that. Yeah. yeah. The, it's, it's ripped out of them. Uh, it, like uh, young girls are ripped from the childhoods because of this. They were actually talking about it the other day on Twitter where it was, it was just the, it started very silly, but it opened up this conversation where younger girls are dating older men, like young girls from age 16, 17, dating men as old as 25 or in their twenties. And then they were like, Oh, we liked it. So what? Like, who cares? It was that conversation. It was that debate that you actually, you're actually an old man dating a teenager. Yeah. And, and I remember I got so invested in this, it was last week, Sunday. I got so invested in this topic that I started to think about my own experience and how I also dated someone much older. I dated a 25-year-old when I was 16 and my sister threw a huge fit and our parents got involved and it was stopped. Like, mm-hmm. but, then I, but I had this guy on Facebook. So I'm like, let me actually talk to him about it and find out why he dated someone so young yeah and he was like and he he tells me he's like oh no it's not my fault that you like things when you were a child oh and and you liked it big what what is that you're thinking you are an adult wow dealing with a child and that is that is the mindset that you have going in and just and justifying it, like basically putting yeah. the responsibility on you. You're responsible for yeah. how he deals with you. And but he's a grown. Yeah. He's grown. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell us about your protagonist, and if you could start with the the older woman who was in a polygamous marriage, but now she's trying to teach her daughters to, um, like enjoy sex, like take agency in their sexuality. I have very sad news about that lady. She passed away last month. Oh no. Yeah. She had cancer. We, sh- we shot with her a little bit last year, but then her daughter decided to, that she wanted to take her place because the film was so important to her mother. So oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we see her with what was her name? What was her name? Mrs. Fakayejo. She's Nigerian. Mrs. Fakayejo and her daughter Ola is taking over. So when we shot with them last year, um, she was. Um, the focus was mostly on her because she's the protagonist Mm -hmm. and she was just so emotional about the fact that her daughter was marrying into a monogamous marriage because of the trauma that she's been through in a A monogamous or polygamous. No, her daughter's getting married. We were were shooting the wedding. So her daughter was getting married into a monogamous marriage and she was married into a polygamous marriage. And she, and she's had so much trauma from that that it was, she felt like her, her, her daughter was being spared so much from just marrying one man who wants only one woman. So she was, she had such difficulty. She, 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 she spoke about the fact that she didn't even have a wedding because it, it's, it, 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 it kind of, when you're like the third wife or the fourth wife, you lose value. So it's like the first wife is the, right. the big wife. And then you don't get sexual pleasure. She, she spoke about having to sleep with her husband's brother. What? Just, 
just just for sexual pleasure she's like oh wow this man just doesn't get to me like mm. it, it doesn't happen mm-hmm. like with her mother with her mother her, her mother was also in a polygamous marriage and she says that um the husband would schedule weeks like if he has four wives then this week he's yours whoever cooks is the one he sleeps with but then with her with her husband her husband would just choose like he had no schedule he could just choose who he wanted to sleep with and it wasn't even enough he'd still go out and cheat and have girlfriends in the streets mm. and have girls just attacking her and she's just like you know what it it was for 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 the amount of pain she endured it was definitely not worth right, it right right yeah well yeah. i'm sorry she passed away that's unfortunate um so how yeah. how are, is well, i know you have a machining because of covid but how is her daughter going to be um how is her daughter going to step in and, and take her place this is the daughter who got married to to one man so she's got she's going to step in by just her experience and uh growing up in in a polygamous home so has has that affected how she relates to men with with the guidance from her mother still like what is what is the kind of balance that she has with being heavily rural in that polygamous home and 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 trying and trying to have a, like a polygamous mother who wants you to enjoy sex and wants to talk about sex openly and things like that but i mean i've spoken to her a little bit and she's very very conservative when i when i first when i first went to nigeria well when i first looked for a character in nigeria i was looking for a conservative woman right so obviously my assumption is that this woman is from a polygamous marriage she's married to a chief mm-hmm. she's in rural nigeria she's she's conservative mm-hmm. but she wasn't and that was a pleasant surprise but her her daughter is very much like that she has very strong feelings about the fact that we'll never except the lgbti community mm, in africa mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and you have to compromise in if you want to ever make a partnership work so it's 6040 if you're ever going to win wow. like you're going to get as far as 6040 in a marriage like she has those kind of perceptions and you see the the kind of contrast between her and her, her mother, mother. Her right. mother her, yeah yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so tell us about the woman in um Zambia. So the woman in Zambia made a sex tape. Okay. Oh, and tell us tell us her name. Iris Kayengu. Iris made a sex tape with her then partner. Um they they made a sex tape and it was supposed to be a private video, but then it came out and she's actually the daughter of one of the ministers, ex-ministers in in Zambia, Michael Kayengu. And when it came out that the minister's daughter made a sex tape, everybody was ridiculing her, her father, her family. And she was actually publicly ridiculed to the point where she had to actually go to jail. What? Because it's actually, it's actually illegal to make a sex tape in Zambia. It's a very conservative country. Pornography is illegal. So how did it, how did it get out? That's my question. Who released it? I think the guy released it but it's not confirmed it just leaked but then they had broken up and then this guy doesn't get arrested he's almost getting away with it scot free but then um her father is, is got up in parliament and called out the the minister of gender equality and said listen 
both of these people were in the sex tape. If you're going to arrest one, arrest both of them. So why, why, why are you arresting one? I'm not saying my daughter is a saint for making mm-hmm. a sex tape, but I'm saying the guy should be arrested as well. Right. Wait, so Zambia has a minister of gender equality, a ministry of gender equality. Yeah. Okay. I need to look that up. All right. (laughs) That's great. All right. So after that, like feminist groups started coming behind Iris and said, no, this is wrong. Uh, Free Iris. Um, She paid like a big fine. She wasn't in jail for a long time. I think a couple of days. And then she came out. And then when she comes out, she posts like a racy picture (laughs) of her by the pool. All right. And just like this little skimpy little <laughs> bikini. <laughs> and then it gets everybody like wild up <laughs> all over again. And then I asked her, I'm like, why did you choose to do that? And then she's like, you know what? Just to remind everyone that this is my body mm. and it's my sexuality. And if I want to look sexy or if I want to identify as someone that actually has sex or wants to be sexy, you can't throw me in jail for that. How many times are they going to throw mm-hmm, you in jail for, mm-hmm. for wanting that? So, I mean, there's very different, there's very different types of feminism. And I, I feel that African feminism hasn't been put in the spotlight as much as, like, it, it, it almost seems like, especially us, like the people that are supposedly the new generation, we find like references for feminism from America. Right, right. We we, we look to America and we're like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is black feminism. Mm -hmm. But there's African feminism that has always been around. Like, um, as I was researching black women and sex, I saw that there's a book called Misbehave by Male, which is, she's a South African author. And she was talking about the fact that when she was growing up, there was this myth that, there was a myth that uh, seeing an old black woman's body naked is a curse. You're not allowed to see it. You're going to be cursed. And I remember that myth growing up too. It was there. And I asked my friends, they're like, yeah, yeah. We remember it was there when we were kids. We were terrified of seeing like an old lady naked. Wow. And then, and then she says, this myth was so strong back in the day that black women gathered around and used it against men. And so if a man would cheat on his wife or hit mm-hmm. his wife, they'd gather by his gate and start stripping. Oh, wow. And that man would run away and think that he is being cursed. Like he would literally mm-hmm. feel like he's actually being cursed. Something like that happened in Nigeria. Um, a, a bunch of women protested against, I think they were protesting against oil drilling. They stripped naked um, and to kind of like stop the drilling. I can't remember yeah. the story exactly. Yeah, but, but it happened in Nigeria because mm. like, it was considered taboo to see like uh, a woman's, like, uh, I don't know if they were older women, but it was t- taboo to, to be naked in public. And, um, and um, like, and it kept the men away. Yeah. Like, it was like an effective form of protest. Yeah. It, it, it happened as well in South Africa um, during the Fees Must Fall movement with the students. They, the, the, the police were shooting at the students protesting and three women were actually, I interviewed for Black Women and Sex, the series, all three of them. They also, they also stood in front of the police and started stripping and everybody just shut down and, and nobody moved and everybody was scared. Yeah. 
So it's still very much that same idea, but it's it, the, 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 the idea behind stripping is you demonize a body so much that when you see it, you are so scared of it and it can actually be used against you because of what, of this nonsense that you've actually created against them. So how is she um, doing today? Oh, Iris, how is she doing? She's actually wants to, she, 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 she wants to get into politics now. Okay. Follow after her daddy. So yeah, yeah. She says she wants to get into politics and um, change some of the laws for women because um, Zambia is such a conservative country. And because, I mean, she's privileged. She's, she's, she comes from a very privileged background. She's been all around the world and she's seen how things work around the world. So she wants Zambia to be progressive like that. Right. But then um, she obviously struggles with people not taking her seriously because of the sex because tape. Of the tape. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And people still slut shaming her. So. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. And then your third character from South Africa, a trans woman. It's Glow Makitsi. When we spoke, I think it was February, we talked, I was telling you about the filming. We shot a little bit in January with, with Glow. She, she had gone to a nightclub with her friend and um, throughout the night, she's been using the female bathroom. She, it's actually an LGBTI club. Oh, really? You know, she, yeah, it's, yeah. I, it's great day for all the South Africans out there. Okay. It's, it's a, <laughs> she was at great Dane mm -hmm. and she was with a friend. They were partying. And then, um, she, she uses the female bus. I've actually been to that pub with her a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so at some point in the night, she went to the bathroom and then there was a girl there in the bathroom who threw a tantrum about the fact that she was in the female bathroom. She's like, I don't care that you're gay or you're trans or you identify as what you deserve. You, your place is the male bathroom. You need to be in the male bathroom. You can't be in the female bathroom intimidating females in here. And then she's like, how am I intimidating anyone? I'm just here. Going to, to the, bathroom. the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. And emotions, like, like it, the, the fact that the, the belonging factor is a big trigger for GLOW. And, you know, and she got really upset and the girl got really upset. And then she threw a bottle at this girl, the bottle she had in her hand. And then now a physical fight transpires and, and then, um, they get out of the bathroom and the boyfriend, the girl's boyfriend calls the police and then she was taken to a male prison. Mm, mm. So when she gets to the male prison, um, they, they put her as high risk, thank God. Um, so she was isolated, but then there was a level of, um, what is this? Like, uh, homophobia going around because she, because the police could have released her. They're like, oh no, we need to, cause she was in court the following day and they're like, okay, no release her. And then, um, the police were like, oh no, we still have to verify her address. So she stays now in prison for seven days because they're just trying to verify her address. Do you think they were just stalling? Yeah. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. they wouldn't even let her take a call, which is illegal. They were, they were like, no, our phones aren't working. Like what kind of prison has phones that aren't working? Right. So she couldn't even call someone to like quickly come and verify the address. So she was literally just stuck in the prison for, 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 for a week. So, so, 
in January, we're following the court case with her and going to court with her to figure out what's going on and where this thing is going. So the first day we arrived, the matter was already going to trial. Mm. So we sorted out the paperwork to, to shoot inside the court. And then now they're like, oh, no, we, um, we have like a government, government lawyers, like free lawyers. Right. So they're like, okay, no, um, we don't want to use this lawyer that she currently has. We're going to use another lawyer. So you kind of see how cameras change things. Like when you come here, when you come there and with your camera and it's a whole media thing and there's sound, now people want to put that best foot forward. Now, Yeah, they, they want to behave themselves. Because when we first arrived, the lawyer that was there was just doing her article. She wasn't even a qualified lawyer. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is someone that's facing two years in prison. Mm. And then now, now you want to get a more experienced lawyer because they're going to be on camera. Mm -hmm. And now... All of a sudden, this whole thing could be thrown out in the space of a week or two weeks, a matter that's been going on for months. And then we we're just like, it's, it's not the true representation of what actually happens. Because you try to capture that in a film and say, this is the injustice and this is what people have to go through right. for just using a bathroom. Mm -hmm. But then it, it, it escalated and taken to like, okay, no, let's just... Because, because people are just scared of, of the backlash. So I imagine what it would have been like for um, her if um, she weren't part of your documentary. Yeah, it would have been terrible. Yeah, it would have been totally, totally different. And yeah, so um, we took the time to kind of, with, with what was going on, we, we went to speak to the police. We spoke to the head of communications for police. And I asked the police, like, it, it brings out, like, tough questions. Like, if you get to a scene, an assault scene, as the police, and you find a trans woman fighting a cisgender woman. Right. Do you consider that a fair fight? Because mm. if, it, if it was a man versus a woman, it would have been clear that this is not a fair fight. Right. Do you consider that a fair fight? Mm -hmm. And then she can't even answer me. She tells me, oh, no, whoever called the police is the one we're protecting. So if we, it, um, we don't want to know the, the situation, that will be figured out in court. And I'm like, okay. Uh, we have to else? ask those questions to, like, even, like, I mean, as a, as a police officer to write up your report, you have to ask those questions. I mean, they're making that judgment also on the, on the spot as well. Yeah. You know, whether, whether how they're going to move forward, whether they're going to actually make an arrest. Yeah. And it's like, is it, is it considered a fair fight? I don't think those are things that we have con like concluded as a society. Like how do we actually navigate this? If this person identifies as female, according to the constitution of South Africa, she has an ID that says female, but you still take her to a male prison and put her as high risk. Would you put her as high risk in a female prison as well, or what? So it's, it's, such, it's opened so many doors for questioning in terms of how do you actually fit into the society? What are the rules that are put in place? And the general consensus has been, we, we don't know, we haven't figured it out. So like all three of these women's stories are so like rich and complex. So 
and then I know you're early on in the process. How do you plan to like weave them together? So I'm weaving them together through the politics of sex. So with all three of them, it's, they identify with sex very differently, but the, but the approach to all three of them is the same in terms of the politics of sex, in terms of representation. So with Glow being a trans woman, it's, it's mostly an issue of the lack of representation for trans women. And then with Iris, it's negative representation. And in a, tra in a traditional set setting, it's also no representation for women in, in a traditional setting. So you, so you kind of paste the, the politics together at the same time to kind of see all the angles of politics for all three of them. And that's how, that's how I kind of weave it together. Even though the stories are very, very different, I feel like the, polit the politics are the same. Right, exactly. Because essentially they're dealing with these um, outside forces, you know, and, and the personal is political. I can't, I can't recall who, whose quote that is, but it's somebody famous. <laughs> um, yeah, so just tell us, like, so where are you right now? Um, well, obviously you're not shooting right now. Like how much of the film have you shot? I shot a little bit uh, for for late development. So um, I was really hoping to shoot now uh, for production. Also looking to to make the film like a seven minute virtual reality project. <gasps> oh my God. Okay, <laughs> talk about that. Oh my God. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. Okay, so what's that going to be like? Um, well, we, I, I, I want to do it with no dialogue for, for the virtual reality. Um, seven minutes, totally immersive. I'd like it to be in the traditional camp in Zambia where, uh, where the training happens for where black older women teach younger women about sexual pleasure. And yeah, I'll make that as a kind of like that, that, that training process a little bit for, for, for Zambia and Nigeria, the, the whole polygamy. I'm just, I, I want to make it very visual and challenge myself to make a documentary with no dialogue and just totally immersive and body positivity or all these emotions coming out without actually having to say anything. And my friend is very, very experienced with VR. So he's, he's, done, he's done a lot of uh, wildlife um, documentaries for VR and like for, for virtual reality. So he's very, he's working with me closely with it, with the technicalities of it. So what's his name? Skumbuzo Jomo. Will this be his first project, like working with people? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yes, yes. No, it, the last one, he was working with the interactions between people and animals. So, okay. yeah, so it's not, it's this would be the first, first all people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but people. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, so what do you, I know you're early on in it, but so do you anticipate the, the viewer, um, who's experiencing it, like being placed in the roles of these various women or just being an observer? I think being an observer because, um, I, I, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, uh, VR things and, Pornography is actually very big in VR. So it'll be very- That's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, I have to be very careful with uh, keeping it sensual and not looking like pornography, especially right. with it being so up close in your face in virtual right. reality. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. trying to find like the softness and 
um, the water has been a nuance in the film from the beginning. And so we're going to carry that into the VR experience as well and kind of um, use water as well, keep the kind of the, the, the same kind of theme, but make it more artistic. I feel like there are things that I haven't like considered with water. Like I, I've, I've spoken about it in terms of, of what water means and, and the, like, and like the, the reasoning behind me using water, but like, it's such a part of the sexual experience with the sweats and the kissing mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and getting wet when you, when you have sex. So I, I want to implement that as well. Okay. Oh, oh, my, oh my God. I'm so excited <laughs> for that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. One of the reasons why I want to do this podcast um, is that I would have filmmakers who are at all stage of production, even filmmakers who have finished films. But like, I want filmmakers to be able to articulate and to say like what what they need. Like, what what have you raised? Like, what how much more do you have to raise? Oh, I still have so much to raise. I feel, yeah, I've only raised for development and we've just wrapped development now. So, um, yeah, I, I need money for production, post-production. And um, with, with the VR experience, um, 40,000 euros towards that to, to make that happen. So I think that would, be, that would be great. And I need pretty much the same amount of money for production for the feature as well yeah and um what's your ideal i mean i know it's hard to say with um COVID and everything well I, but ideally when would you like to be done with the, the film and have it out in the festival world ideally i'd like to have it out by um finished and everything by by november I'd like to. Oh, girl, that's coming up. Yeah, that's like now, now. (laughs) I actually, I actually, one of, one of our investors um, for development, the Houghton Film Commission was like, um, we, we, like them as a funding body have to submit 10 films to the biggest festival here in South Africa and on the continent to, to the Durban Film Festival. And they were like, can you try to have it done by July? Because we want to take it there by July and it's such a stretch Ooh, right now I wish especially with everything yeah, that's happening yeah, yeah so we're actually that's a... aiming for July this whole year like starting to shoot now in April April May June and try pro- get into post by July but now I don't think it's gonna happen so um I mean you mentioned your your funders so have they been with co- everything happening with COVID have they been pretty um responsive in regards to um being flexible with like production schedules and you know and how you use the funds i mean that type of thing yeah they have been they've they've been very very supportive um we i have like a monthly progress report with them every month and i just write a letter and tell them everything that's going on all the developments that are happening so it's a it's a it's a pretty good relationship and they were like yeah so we're we're here to support you with whatever you need just let us know so now with 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 the com- the country going into level 4 and us being able to 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 get into production again it's very positive so i think in in the month of may we can start pre-production and then hopefully the funds will be in by the end of may and then we can start shooting at least with glow here in south africa and, and, and finish her sector or her, her journey with us. And then while we wait for, for the borders to open so we can get to Nigeria and Zambia. 
so is um, Black Women in Sex your first um, feature, well, your first film with Mogali Pictures as part of your- Yes. Okay, okay. My production um, company. It's my first feature film. Yeah. And yeah, it's, be, it's had like such a great response from everyone. Everyone is very, very supportive of me. Um, I've worked with organizations in film like Swift, Sisters working in film and television in South Africa. My my work and my passion for for women and and equality and the rights of women. Because with Swift, I was in advocacy and we were fighting sexual harassment in the entertainment and TV world in South Africa. So how did how was that? What were some of the things that women were um, having to to deal with there? I mean, it, it, it was a problem of producers with a lot of power not being able to be called out because mm. people respect them in the industry or directors having to speak out. But uh, there have been disappointing things. I remember your post, I think it was from yesterday, talking about uh, white feminism and, 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 black, and black people within white feminism and and just the difficulties there. So it's just- Yeah, so just to give some people um, some context, um, I was uh, watching this video on this, um, as a feminist talk about misogyny, and it was a panel, um, predominantly white women in Canada, um, and but there was an Indian Canadian woman, you know, from, in, from, um, in, from India diaspora, Indian Canadian woman. And she was the only one with color. And um, as part of her statement, she had read a statement from a First Nations woman. But after the panel was like really, um, really good. And um, they were speaking about various ways they were fighting misogyny. But uh, at the end, there was a Q&A period. And a Black woman who was off camera um, got up and talked about how sometimes the many ways that white feminism can be exclusionary. And she specifically asked the white women how they what they should be asking, what they were doing to rectify the problem. Yeah. And she essentially got a non-answer. So first of all, there was silence. They were kind of, the white women were kind of looking at each other, you know, trying to see who's going to answer first. And then one said, well, you know, it's hard. And then another one was like, oh, it's so hard. And then uh, the last woman said, oh, well, you just have to include yourself, which is like no answer. Yeah, so that's the context of that. Yeah. But yeah, so you were talking about that uh, in the context of the, your work with Swift. I worked with Swift and I really, really like, and there's some really, really wonderful people in it. But we've also had those kind of problems where uh, you try to be like an empowerment group, but people have their own specific problems because they are black and because they're excluded or, and financially excluded and 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 but then they were just like well we can't spend all of our time talking about mm. all of your issues like can we get back to the main reason we're all here you know mm -mm. so it's just you find you find issues like that going in but then yeah but then for the most part it's been good uh, we've mm -hmm. we've had talks at the berlin international film festival mm -hmm. there was a talk at the africa hub and everybody received swift very well and okay it was great mm -hmm. so I, and a lot of film festivals around africa as well right but, yeah but i mean we have our own internal issues in terms of intersectional feminism is is something that we still have to kind of work towards and i'm trying to do that with um with black women and sex is try to be inclusive 
and then not and then not say these are the black women and this is the transgender black woman because sometimes i'd interview um my protagonist in south africa mm-hmm. and then some of the crew members would be like oh is this like is she just observing like it, there's this general sense is that mm-hmm. you don't know what i'm talking about if i ask you about general things that black women go through if you are a trans woman like there's there, there's not that thing to say you are included and you are a part of us and you're one of us well i kind of wanted to go back to your um your just your comments about like we, we, our conversation about your know, white feminism and etc because obvi you know this is something that's um that's pre- well it's prevalent within like all societies but also like when you're working in a film you definitely see it so i you know i've been in meetings with organizations and we're we're talking about you know with filmmakers and filmmaking organizations and we're talking about a particular initiative and usually um people of color um people with disabilities are really an afterthought in in many ways and it's all and i'm coming to understand well it's been frustrating obviously but like something like hey we'll get to that later but i'm yeah. thinking like what if people took the approach of why don't we look at the issues that the most vulnerable people in our group are dealing with exactly and like you know, with those issues and really that covers everybody yeah you know that could cover everybody because a lot of the issues that um you know that um black women dealing with um in the field as far as like um finances all go um you know and lack of equity and pay maybe some of the issues that some like white lower class women you know um maybe maybe dealing with because um you know this filmmaking club is very elite and it's very money you know, yeah, and only certain people have had access to that. So I mean, because they're in the issues around um, disability and class that have been prohibitive around that. Mm. So like, if maybe if you like take the approach, let's address like what the most vulnerable people need, then we can like take care of it, and then you won't have a it won't be like this afterthought. Because here's the thing: I think if people are put in a position of being the afterthought um, long enough, then they they begin to um, this is probably a good thing like organize with them themselves and they're not worried about you yeah you know (laughs) now trying to trying to be with you you know (laughs) so (laughs) like you basically you are not entity we're gonna make our our own you know Mm. um i mean i think hence like uh organizations like you know brown girl dot mafia and then what ava duvernay has done with array you know yeah um people create their own and they thrive and then then people want to kind of then the other yeah. folks want to kind of glom onto it yeah I'm like well you know okay now you want to come to the party mm. okay <laughs> and, yeah and i i think another thing that's wrong with these organizations is the assumed leadership from white women like we are here to save you we are here like there, there's that approach as well that is very condescending that is very patronizing that needs to change first and foremost in her work, Holdi Saman is definitely working to shift the conversation about Black women and sex and in the way we dare to love ourselves and to be loved properly and well. The Mighty Clouds of Joy are best known for the classic, I don't feel no ways tired. But for so many of us in this endless moment of Black repression and death at the hands of both white supremacy and white fragility, I know that we are. We just are. 
So y'all just let yourselves be and lean on each other and seek out those spaces rich in love and blackness that nurture and replenish you. And be clear, very clear about the things that don't and remove them. And Toni Morrison's beloved, Baby Shugs gives a rousing sermon soon after Setha and her children have escaped to freedom. She preaches here, in this here place, we flesh, flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh that dances on bare feet and grass. Love it, love it hard. Yonder, they do not love your flesh. They despise it. They don't love your eyes. They just as soon pick them out. No more do they love the skin in your back. Yonder they flay it. And oh, my people, they do not love your hands. Those they will only use, tie, bind, chop off, and leave empty. Love your hands, love them. Raise them up and kiss them. Touch others with them, pat them together, stroke them on your face, cause they don't love that either. You got to love it, you. And no, they ain't in love with your mouth. Yonder out there, they will see it broken and break it again. What you say out of it, they will not heed. What you scream from it, they will not hear. What you put into it to nourish your body, they will snatch away and give you leavings instead. No, they do not love your mouth. You got to love it. This is flesh I'm talking about here. Flesh that needs to be loved. Feet that needs to rest and to dance. Backs that need support. Shoulders that need arms. Strong arms, I'm telling you. And oh, my people out yonder hear me. They do not love your neck unnoosed and straight. So love your neck, put a hand on it, grace it, stroke it and hold it up. And all your inside parts that they just as soon slot for hogs, you got to love them. The dark, dark liver, love it, love it. And the beat and beating heart, love that too. More than the eyes or feet, more than the lungs that have yet to draw free air, more than your life holding womb and your life given private parts. Hear me now, love your heart, for this is a prize. The act of we as black women and all black people of loving ourselves is revolutionary. So I implore you just to hold on to that. Thank you so much for listening today. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Visit our website at whatsupwdocs.com. That's whatsupwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at whatsupwdocs. Again, that's whatsupwdocs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's program was hosted by Tony Bell and produced and edited by Rennell Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas.